Welcome to the Futile Podcast. Tonight, it's Ian, it's Michael. We're going to talk about the uh, BBC series Sherlock. Three seasons, series, three series, eight movies, or nine movies, whatever you want to call it. It's really kind of a, it's one big thing that's, um, I don't know, it's hard, hard, hard to think about it a certain way. I, it, have you, can you think of any other shows that are like that, where it's like it's three episodes for a season, but each episode is like like 80 minutes so it's almost like like a movie but not quite i've always kind of liked sherlock holmes i feel the same way about sherlock holmes as i do about batman i like almost all all iterations i don't have experience with all of uh, you know uh mm-hmm. iterations but i mean i've seen the, the jeremy brett show which was on the old classic masterpiece used to be on on monday nights on on pbs the adventures of sherlock holmes series that was i think like three or four pretty involved series is set in the you know proper Sherlock Holmes era and uh, I got a kick out of the Guy Ritchie movie I never saw the second one but I, I you know it was fun it was it was different but it was you know just like with Batman it's like you know like the Tim Burton movie or even the Adam West TV show or the Christopher Nolan movie or the comics like I, I kind of get a kick out of all of them for what they are um, right maybe it's the detective thing I don't know um, but that that helps. I mean, they're both kind of obsessive characters that are trying to like make sense of the world or figure figure things out, and they're both kind of um, I don't know loners to a degree. I think that they certainly explore that more in this this version. Stephen oh, Moff- Stephen Moffat and uh, Mark Gatiss decided to sort of do an updated Sherlock Holmes, and I don't remember how I heard about it, but I got in on like the the first episode when it was on 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 Mystery that oh. Sunday night. Usually I hear about stuff, you know, I'm a season late or, you know, or whatever. You just kind of hear about things and you, right. you, you, you get there, you don't. Um, and maybe my mom had seen an ad for it or something. She, she's more inclined to be watching PBS than I am. She was probably like watching Doc Martin or something and saw an ad <laughs> for something and thought, Oh, that looks neat. And I was a little skeptical. Um, my first thing was going to be, because I think part of the problem with detective genre stuff is, and the modern era, and I mean, you see it like when you watch like film noirs and stuff, it's just when you have all this technology that we have now, it, 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 it sort of, it sort of removes you from like the suspense, from the thrill of the hunt of, I mean, like, you don't have to be that good a detective anymore to like deduce who somebody is because Google exists you know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so then it beca- can become a separate thing. You can either em- embrace the technology and it can become this very technophilic, um, hacker oriented, a lot of people on screens. And it's hard for me still to, st- every now and again, they make that interesting, but I mean, it's generally not that interesting to watch mm-hmm. in my opinion. Um, and the, so the way that they kind of played with Sherlock, I mean, the first thing off the bat is the way he's introduced in the first episode with the, uh, with the, uh, with the text messaging. I thought, and they've gone on to do right. that in quite a few other, um, other, other media or you know, other shows and stuff have have started to to to, to take that idea of um, people communicating that way and then kind of popping it up on the screen. And I mean, it's it's sort of a it's obviously an illusion breaker like anything right. like title cards or any of that stuff are and i'm generally not very pro that but this was done in in a way that i thought 
I mean, it was just, it was just, it was, I think it might have been just the sheer deluge of them at the beginning. It's like, okay, we're not going to just do one or two. We're going to do a whole bunch. And then you're going right. to have to either go with it and just accept it. And that's the world we're in where we're going to have text messages pop up. And then, and then they extrapolate that even further into kind of getting in his mind and the way he observed things. I mean, there's a little bit of that mm-hmm. kind of in the Guy Ritchie movie. No, just like an internal monologue, then kind of visualized to a degree. And I'll definitely mm-hmm. want to go back and talk about that further as we get further into the series. Um, but before I get too far in, I, I feel I should give you a chance to talk about your, um, you know, your history with the character, or your, your, um, your personal interest in, uh, in either the, the series, what turned you on to the series, what, uh, you know, that kind of thing, before we can we really get into nitpicking things, if you want. <laughs> Well, I sort of, um, I guess I came from an opposite direction that you did. I never liked Sherlock Holmes. Um, I've always been, I, I grew up watching um, Poirot on um, murder, masterpiece mystery, you know. The Belgian guy, right? The Belgian guy, yeah. So, I mean, my family watches British mysteries like nothing else. And I feel like Sherlock was always the thing we watched if we didn't have any other mystery to watch. The, adve- the adventure series, the one that I'm talking about that I watched, the Jeremy Brett series, that was also on um, back then. Yeah, there was a one in between. I can't remember oh, who weird. it was. Yeah. Um, okay. And it, that was brief. They did like the Hound of the Baskervilles and maybe one other. It was a real brief one. Um, and so we would watch that, or um, even um, film versions like the the Oddball one with Michael Caine. Right. Um, there's the seven percent so, solution also that was sort of a novel Nicholas Meyer wrote and then directed oh. the movie the seven percent solution was the one with uh, Alan Arkin um, as as Freud and it's where Holmes goes to uh, to lose his opium addiction and uh, oh, right. Lawrence Olivier plays Moriarty and it kind of gets into the whole idea of I mean it's it's stuff that I think they borrowed a little bit for, for in the uh, series finale of season two of Sherlock the oh, idea yeah. of is this guy real or is this sort of your own, you know, twisted neuroses and everything else kind of elevating him. Right. The villainous so, status. Yeah. So we never really, I never, I never liked him. I never thought he was an interesting hero. I never thought Moriarty was an interesting villain. Um, and it wasn't until, until this one that I actually enjoyed um, an interpretation of him. This one, and I enjoyed the Guy Ritchie as well. Okay. Um, but a friend of mine had seen it, and he said, "You just you have to watch it." And I don't remember. I think he must have got me somewhere in the middle of season one, because um, we watched the first episode and the third episode together. Um, and I mainly watched it because oh, Martin Freeman's in it, and I like him, so cool. I'll I'll watch it, you know. Um, and of course, I was I was hooked on it immediately. So I mean, so with Freeman, had you seen like Hitchhiker's Guide and? Uh... The Office, is that where you saw had seen Freeman? Or? Oh, well, The Office, right. you know, um, he played the uh, British he, version of He was Jim. Tim. He was Tim. He was yeah. Tim, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and um, charming and adorable, of course, as the American one I hear is. Hmm. But um, So, of course, you can't, like, not enjoy him. And, of course, he was in um, all those... Oh, what's that red-headed Scottish guy who makes those silly movies? Oh. Um, I don't know. It's not Simon Pegg. Oh, Simon Pegg stuff. Oh, is he? Has he? Maybe he has shown up in some of those. I got to revisit all those. The the Cornello trilogy or whatever they call it. Yeah, <laughs> Cornet, the... Cornetto trilogy. I think. 
The zombie one. I remember seeing him. He was in the zombie one. Okay, right. Yeah, he was. Yeah, that first one. Sean and Hot Fuzz. He was in Hot Fuzz. And... Oh, yeah, the second one. I love Timothy Dalton in that. Yeah. <laughs> he just, he just, my brother and I were watching it and we love those movies and we've, we've only seen them like once, but like we just really loved him. And we just, we both just loved how like he was just the, the mustache and the, uh, he had like this certain quality. He was just so aggressively soup, like villainous from the yeah. get go. <laughs> we just got to kick out that. That was fun. Okay, cool. So you're coming at it from, that's interesting because... I mean, so so what was it that you didn't find... I didn't see this series that you saw, maybe. And maybe it's just not a good interpretation of the character. Maybe it's just kind of a subpar take. Mm-hmm. Um, so I couldn't speak to it. But I mean, like, I feel like there's a lot that's very similar about Sherlock that, that, throughout all of of the iterations of him. I mean, he's this... He's this kind of borderline sociopathic, but not really... I mean, he's... He's a good guy, but he just isn't that interested in certain things. His mind works a completely different way, and mm-hmm. the way he observes people and, and, and things, and this, his surroundings kind of force him to kind of operate a certain way, and it becomes like a... I mean, they played up... They played up... They didn't do as much as I would have liked with this um, early on, but they kind of did mention the whole almost like it's a mental illness kind of thing for him. Right. To a degree, right. you know? Um, I mean, he, he plays it as a joke that he's a high-functioning sociopath, but there there's a bit of kind of an autism there. There's a bit of... Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, and then when you start visualizing it, it's like... Uh, it's um, It really does help. I mean, I don't know if... Did you ever see the Jodie Foster movie? Like, uh, I think it was called Little Man Tate. About the no. little, little genius kid. At one no. point, they, they, there's a scene where he's like um, at some giant, you know, Math Olympics fair thing or something... And someone asks a question. He's not in the panel. But someone asks a math question, and they cut to like him, like with numbers floating in his head and all this stuff. Uh, it was just kind of emphasizing sort of how somebody who's really intelligent maybe operates, how their brain works. I mean, you visualized it in kind of a clever way that I think that they obviously did use a lot of in Sherlock. Mm-hmm. And that's neat. That that's neat to me. To getting into literally getting into and cinematically getting into to someone's mind and the way they operate. And then if they're an endearing character, like I think Sherlock is, then it works. And I think it, it works because at the end of the day, when he's been, when he's, you know, been kind of a jerk to like someone, then he kind of feels bad about it, you know? <laughs> he's, and there's been, there's much more of that going in, in, in the later series uh, or the later seasons of, of Sherlock, I think. Okay, so you got in, so you saw one and three. Two is considered sort of the weaker of the first three episodes. And I, I wouldn't argue that, though I didn't have, like, I didn't find it, you know, horrible. The modern aspects of it didn't become, for me at least, didn't take away from the fun of the characters or the mystery of it. Um, I think that, that, that really it's grounded very heavily. And they're, they're using the old classic stories, and there's, you know, those are well-written mm-hmm. and... The, those have those have have like like they have all the right pieces there that are necessary. Right. So that part's kind of okay. That part's taken care of. Then it really does come down to like, and especially in this version where it's very much almost like a buddy cop thing. Do yeah. these two characters play well with each other? Um, are they engaging? And I mean, for me, that's sort of been the most enjoyable part. I mean, as, as much as I love the third episode of the first season. 
for mm-hmm. being like eight mysteries in like 80 minutes. I mean, it's just so <laughs> fast. It's so quick paced. And that's what really excites me about, about watching stuff is I want to be, you know, it's the whole like you want to kind of know where you're going, but then be surprised when you get there kind of thing. Right. And, and I mean, like, when they're fighting the strong man in the planetarium <laughs> while, like, you know, what was it? Was it Jupiter or Mars by Holst is, is like, blasting in the background but being, right. like, all remixed because of the <laughs> and the imagery? Yeah. I was like, this is awesome. Like, this is yeah. just such a cool little scene. And it happened in the same movie where, you know, they dealt with sort of a more traditional guy was left on a beach murdered and then it was the mm-hmm. the painting thing at the beginning that kind of gets called back to and I mean I just um I just for me for me that was like a solid 80 minutes of like I mean I, it was one of the few times in recent memory that I did like the little kid thing where I pretty much rewatched the episode like less than a week later because I was <laughs> I was so into it and I'm not usually like that I'm not usually big on burning myself out on things I love I, I try because because I hate that. There's nothing worse than like, oh, this cake is great. I think I'll have another piece. And it's like oh, I never want to eat that cake again, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so that that one I think was an exceptionally strong from every aspect of it, the story and the characters and everything else. Mm-hmm. I think it's become much more of a character show, especially in season three. But that's but I've still enjoyed it for that. I, I mean, I think it's fallen out of favor maybe with the critical crowd to a degree, and I could sort of see rationale for that i mean some, mm-hmm. there's been some weaknesses in the stories uh especially the last one the last one was kind of a man of steel scenario i don't know, did you the see last... man of steel the no. superman movie okay uh-huh. well i don't I, I won't spoil that entirely by spoiling this but i should also preface for the listeners i guess we're going to talk about the episodes without you know being too uh you know without pussyfooting around things so <laughs> So that they should know. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Yeah, to a degree. And I think that's fair because series three was on, it isn't on Netflix yet. So maybe that's like, that's like the ultimate, like like you could say how Breaking Bad ended now because it's Mm -hmm. on Netflix. It's been on Netflix for like a month. So it's like, okay, now that's how, that's the cultural guidepost for for major major shows or whatever is if it's been on Netflix for over a month then you can probably spoil it the way they start with Watson and with the you know sort of Afghanistan thing which is very reminiscent mm-hmm. I mean that's what Watson was he was like a military doctor and you know he had had that past I don't know that they ever really called back to that too much in the old Sir Arthur Conan Doyle stories and they don't really milk it a lot here either they just mm-hmm. use it use it effectively in the right few places especially in that first episode i mean he's he's got the cane he's got like a, kind of some kind of a psychosomatic thing or just some you know he's not sure he's and then by the end of the episode he doesn't need the cane anymore and he's off and running and, and he's always sort of there just to be surprised by how you know awesome Holmes is and and they have they just they, they get along they interact in a very great way and I think one thing I really want to talk about is just the idea of them as the idea of characters that are just such that are good friends in like a very very like trials and tribulations kind of way and that's um, that's nice I mean they they do hit and I think that's the one thing that people the critics and stuff get a little turned off by they do hit the like like we're not gay thing like that joke gets hammered maybe too many times but i mean in some respect it kind of i guess it's it's unfortunate that it sort of needs to be put out there in the first place like i mean it's fine if two characters if there's like a homoerotic quality for two characters if that's part of what that story is 
But we get to the point where people can't just be friends in stories. Then what kind of right. world are we living in? You know, like it's very, <laughs> it's very strange when every every kind of friendship with any depth is immediately g- given kind of a sexualized nature. Right. Uh, and, and and that's why like 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 I was talking about the elementary show that you haven't seen yet, and you're like, oh my gosh, they made Watson a woman. Of course, there's going to be all the sexual tension stuff. It's like there's been surprisingly very little. It's it's really? fairly it, really, and I I. I think I think it's been it's been like of course addressed by Holmes in very matter of fact ways a couple of times but but that's but they've gotten past and through it all fairly quickly to the point where I mean it's a good show I'll just I'll just give you that 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 that, that, that I enjoy it um, but but Watson has become more of a real partner to him I think in, in in the sense of like you know like she she's learned the techniques and. And he has her, like, he quizzes her on things and stuff to the point, you know, he's like, you know, he does little goofy things in their apartment where they live, or it's, it's like a brownstone in the, in the series. But so that, that's cool. Like, that to me is, like, another way to look at it, too, where it's like, it's a, it's a man and a woman in, in that series, but they're, they're just re- really good friends. I mean, it's not like the Mulder Scully thing, which to me started in kind of an interesting, kind of ironic twist to it. Where in the very first episode of the X Files, at one point, they're in there. I think they're in Seattle. I think they're in your stomping grounds, uh, <laughs> investigating some kid getting abducted by aliens or something. It literally was just like the most straightforward type of thing. And uh, she has some panic moment after she gets out of the shower where she thinks she's got some weird thing on her neck or something. I forget. It's somehow related to the episode. And so she comes over to to his room, and has him and, and wants him to take a look at it. Uh, you know, and so like here you have these two characters that haven't had any kind of real time to develop a f- professional relationship or anything, and like they're you know you know he's looking at her neck while she's in a bathrobe in his hotel room, and I always thought that was kind of an interesting way to very quickly, and then nothing happens there, and and, and it's a very clinical thing. It's very much that I thought that was a very smart way for Chris Carter, the writer of that show, to just kind of say these characters are going to have a professional relationship. And I think as it continued to go and it seemed like, you know, then he, you know, I wouldn't say he caved to sort of, you know, shipping fan pressure or whatever, but it did start to sort of make more sense that through the things they had been through together and their kind of clashing personalities, like that worked. Though it was still done in such a strange sort of, almost ambivalent kind of way where like, yeah, they did, but whatever and then he disappeared and i mean i don't know i don't want to get too much into the expo but i feel like that i don't know that idea of friendship is um is really my my main reason for enjoying this version of, of Holmes for sure and even the other one i just like i like stories about characters that are that are friends that that, that solve things that that have an understanding and, and a quickness and a, and a shorthand which they eventually get to because i don't know i think that i think in life that's a nice thing for people to to have and to uh, I mean, there's humor there, and there's kind of something uh, heartfelt there, and yeah, and, and it's it, you know, it, it's even a little moving in some cases for me at least. And that's, I mean, like it can be the old guy and the kid in uh, you know, an up. It could be <laughs> all sorts of things. I mean, a, a great example for me, and I mean, it could be read, read as being a little bit misogynistic, which I, I don't think it is. Like I said, that word I think gets overused a bit, you know, for mm-hmm. for the wrong things. But did, did you ever see? Uh, you probably haven't seen it, but it's um, it's Tal- Talladega Nights, the Will Ferrell race car movie. So in the Will Ferrell race car movie, you haven't seen uh-huh. it, have you? 
No, I, no, I have, I have. It was a long time ago. But okay, yeah. right. So it's him and John C. Riley, <laughs> and they're like buddies. And at some point, like Will Ferrell loses uh, enough, and like the wife ends up going with his buddy John C. Riley instead. And so, like mm-hmm. he's calling him up one night, like angry at him, you know, because of the whole circumstances of everything. And like five minutes into them, you know, being angry or something, he's just like, "So how you doing, man?" You know. And there's, "Oh wait, I'm supposed to be angry at you." And it's just in those cases where it was like the joke they were making is like these guys are sort of. They're such they're such good buddies that like mm-hmm. all this other drama around them and whatever betrayals or whatever happened, it kind of at the end of the day it's kinda of like, yeah, 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 you know? And then you just get over it and you go through it. And I mean right. and like and then that that's also there in something like uh like uh Cowboy Bebop and I, I like it. I find it I find it kind of moving in uh at the end of the thirteenth episode. Where after the big argument that Spike and Jet have in the twelfth episode, where Jet's gonna go do his own thing, and or Spike's gonna go do his own thing and look for Julia, and Jet's like, "Well, then don't come back," and you know, and then later on he tells him like, "You know, hey, we've got there's a bounty, you know, if you bring the bounty back, I'll let you back on the ship," you know, and then at the very end when he just comes back, he's like, "What you got?" And he's like, "Nothing," and then he says, "Come on," like that to me is like, that that's both. That, that stuff's always fun. It can be funny. And like I said, it can be moving. And that's, I don't know. To me, like, that's the grander theme of some of these shows is just, is friendship. And I think that's, for me, maybe an important thing that I like to go for when I write stories and stuff, too. Mm-hmm. Big rant, but uh, I don't know. Sometimes that's what we do here on the Futile Podcast. We rant about things like that because that's, that's exciting to me, to, <laughs> to us. I mean, because that, that's the epitome of futility, Right. Right. <laughs> I was going for some some big idea, but Actually, I was sp- uh, what? Well, well, I was gonna say that I think part of the reason people don't like Stephen Moffat is because they feel that he gay baits. Oh, okay. With the show, as far as this show goes, I don't know how he does what he does with Doctor Who, but um, I know that's a big complaint. No, no, okay, now you're gonna have to. I feel like I get what that term is, but I'm I'm not really sure that, that, that it's like that he he wants to have his cake and eat it too in terms of them, or he's just kind of. Is kind making of, that joke too he's, much. He's teasing that they are possibly, they could possibly become a homosexual characters and have a relationship, but um, plays it safe by making them, you know, get married to a woman or that kind of thing. So he teases right. with the idea that he's going to make them gay and then takes it away and says, oh no, they're straight. Okay. I'm trying to think of, of, of any real good examples. The only stuff I can think of and I don't know how that, I think, I feel like that's not, I mean, a lot of the stuff I think probably just comes into how someone's going to interpret it. But right. like, I mean, like when, you know, if Freeman's walking around in his bathrobe drinking a cup of coffee in the morning and, mm-hmm. and, and Holmes is doing his thing, it, it's very much like they live together. Right. And there's a, there's a point at which, like I said, there is kind of an inevitable, like, just like iconographic connection there. And I suppose in a progressive society like we have now, which is a good thing, you make that connection. Oh, they live together like a married couple. Right. You know, so they're together together. Well, no, you're right. Because I feel like they're, I think it's a little too much. I think it's like, why can't two guys live together and be friends and um, be emotional with each other and not automatically be a a couple? They can, why can't they just be friends? I mean, I don't know if there is a double standard with that in, in shows with women, but I mean, that could just be pointing to a, a, the greater problem of they're not just plain not being enough, you know, female-centric series or shows or stories or writers or directors or all that other stuff. 
Right. Um, but I mean, who knows? I think that connection is always going to be there. And I mean, people mm-hmm. can make that and people that want to argue that can argue that. And I mean, if you find, if you, if you're looking for something, it's, um, you've seen pie, right? The black no, and white Darren Aronofsky movie. Well, there's uh-huh. a line line in it. Um, you know, he's a mathematician, but he's trying to kind of find like this this perfect number in nature and it relates to the golden ratio and all this other stuff. And at one point, his old like mentor mathematician is like, Max, when you're when you're looking for something in the numbers, then you're not a mathematician anymore. You're a numerologist. If you try to divine some meaning in the number of steps it takes for you to get up the stairs, then Mm-hmm. it's kind of a, you're now divorced from sort of the more objective science of that now and i mean obviously this is a creative arts thing this is a writing thing this is a story thing but that's always the trick with 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 critics i think is like if you're if you want to make an argument for something you probably can yeah. if you're if you have strong enough rhetorical skills then you can c- kind of do that now sometimes it's more obvious sometimes it's more straightforward and it's like yeah and I mean, and, and in that case, you know, you give it, you give it to somebody else. So, you know what? Yeah, you're right. There's, there's a lot of this there and, you know. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So but you were really, you will, you like Cumberbatch, 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 Cumber who? What? Let's just call <laughs> him. Let's just, call him Ben. Call him, yeah, Benny. <laughs> Benny. Um, call him Smog, Smog. And he, yeah, he, he, I hadn't seen anything with him, I don't think, until this series. Oh, really? So. And, and then I was kind of taken aback by the look of his character. I thought, well, they're, they're going to mm-hmm. modernize things a little so Watson doesn't have a mustache. Um, mm-hmm. He's just sort of a sort of a regular everyman, which is kind of what Tim was in the office. And, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's perfect. Freeman is great at that. Yeah. Um, and, and Holmes is this kind of guy with this big chunk of kind of. I mean, he kind of looks like Spike Spiegel. I talked about Cowboy Bebop already, but you know, he's got he's got like this nest of hair that. And all of that, and and it's mm-hmm. like okay, this is this is sort of a, a a different, unexpected take on the character, but it works. He's you know they've they've youthed them both up. They're younger mm-hmm. younger people to a degree. Though I think they kind of age them to. to I don't know. I wonder how much time is actually. There's the obvious gap between seasons two and three, but I wonder how much time actually passes from like the first episode, like to like the end of the second series. Yeah. Is that is that like a is that like a two year period or like a five year period? I, I'm. I don't know. I'd have trouble judging that entirely. I feel like they mentioned times enough that it's probably not hard to discern it. Like they right. maybe mentioned like, oh, it's been this six months since Moriarty did something or something. So I feel like it's only maybe a couple of years at most. I think so. But Freeman is like looking a little gray in that third season. Um, maybe they're trying to make him look older after everything that happened. Well, he is. He is gray. Just... Yeah, that's true. That happens too. <laughs> so the first season kind of has that that sort of starter episode it's just a just a basic mystery and it introduces this sort of vaguely introduces the threat of moriarty as this like character over everything and the irony of course being that the moriarty character is in like two of the original stories and that's it so it's not like a joker it's not quite the joker level of like super villain that that it needs to be in uh in something now and i mean like and they've obviously made it that in the moffat series they've, they've had him in multiple episodes and i mean biggest spoiler ever i mean he's either going to come back or i mean that's a big cop out though too at the very end of the third series just to hop all over the place i feel that's the other futile part of the podcast is like it's not we sit down and we tell you everything that you could read on the wiki about the show and then and then analyze it in chronological order sometimes we kind of bounce back and forth that's just the way my brain works whatever 
But yeah, the fact that like Moriarty, a digital version of Moriarty, kind of pops up at the end of the third series, that was strange because I was I, I thought in, in my mind I I was um I thought in my mind, which is where I usually think, um the series was gonna just be three and that was it. Was there ever was that ever out there? Was that ever what it, the, the original plan maybe was? Is there a reason for that, or had just make that up? Uh, you know, I'm not really sure, because I, I thought the same thing. I, I'm not sure if I just assumed that because uh, Benedict Cumberbatch exploded and uh, Martin Freeman was in the Hobbit movies. And, right, yeah. Um, it took two years to get the third season done, so I just figured they would call it quits. Um, so yeah, that was a total shock to me. Absolute shock. But, yeah, it's pretty crazy. I mean, I, even going into the third episode, up until the end, I was like, I think this is the, the last episode of the show. I think they're, you know, they're, mm-hmm. they're not going to make any more of these. Mm-hmm. The characters are introduced. I mean, I'm trying to think of what the real big impetus to get them. Why did he need a roommate in the first place? Oh, he Cause, couldn't afford it, I think, was really the only... He couldn't afford it, and no one would want to live with him. Oh, okay. That's interesting. Because um, he, like, helped Mrs. Hudson out, and... Okay, yeah, it was it was it was what it was. They get together, boom, and then it ha- and then and then they're buddies. Yeah. And just like with House, where you you know the other homes type situation yeah. <laughs> series, um, where there's Watson, there's Wilson instead of Watson, um, <laughs> and they're both doctors. Uh, and they, he, did you know what? that they were in a show together, House and Benedict Cumberbatch? That I did not know that Hugh Laurie and, and Cumberbatch are in a show together. I knew Hugh Laurie and like Stephen Fry, you know, Jews and Wooster and Jews stuff. Jews and Wooster, yeah. No, um, it's called 40-something, and um, Hugh Laurie plays Benedict Cumberbatch's dad. And that was actually, that might have been the first thing I saw him in. Oh, great. That, is it good? It's quirky. It's quirky. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's an odd one. <laughs> it's, it's mostly about his obsession with having sex with his wife. The, the for for you, Lori. Yeah. Weird. Yeah, it's a little odd for him, especially <laughs> when I'm used to Jeeves and Wooster. And... Right. Well, of course, yeah. of course. <laughs> okay, so they get together, Holmes and Watson, and uh, immediately he's off to solve a mystery. And he's like, I think he just tags along, right? Right. And they do hit on that part about because that was that was always a part I felt wasn't terribly strong. Was it's like so this guy's a doctor who's got a practice who's busy. And I mean, maybe in that Victorian era, people that were well-to-do or whatever would just kind of entertain, you know, things for for their leisure because it's not like you're going to go home and watch TV or something. Uh, it would make sense, but that he'd just be like, oh, this is my friend Holmes who, you know, and I, I occasionally help him, uh, you know. So but in the, d- did Watson in this, the books, like he had a practice? I think he did. I mean, I know he, he also, you know, did what... what Watson does in uh, in this series, which is he kind of documents the cases and stuff. And I, I want to say that they're mostly all written in that fashion. They're written like from home, from Watson having written the story, and he's always mm-hmm. you know amazed at the at his you know the the intellect and keen observational skills of mm-hmm. his 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 good friend uh, and colleague um, and companion and whatever else, <laughs> <laughs> um, Sherlock Holmes. Because I think, because with this one, Watson didn't have a job, and that was not initially, yeah, right. And then he um, he gets one eventually, but well, I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, as a physician, I mean, he'll be able to get work. It's just a matter of him needing to get out of his kind of 
you know, PTSD, you mm-hmm. know, self-inflicted rut that he's in. Um, yeah. and, and that's what that helped. And then, and then it really does hit more on his psychology too, as being kind of, kind of an adrenaline junkie kind of, mm-hmm. and I think that's, that's good because that kind of, there with, with these buddy stories, with these adventure stories, it, you can contrive the plot, but at a certain point in time, like, having it, you know, some external force forcing some reluctant hero into a scenario just stops working, especially if it's a series. Right. Um, and, and it just has to be like, no, these characters like this. This is mm-hmm. the life they want. Mm-hmm. They they want the life where they're freaking out in a subway as a bomb's about to go off. <laughs> because that's just, they'd rather live that way than some other way. I mean, you mm-hmm. know, the, the, the idea that, that of sort of, and I mean it's an ironic thing, but sort of de-romanticizing adventure mm-hmm. is, is 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 sort of interesting in adventure stories, and then getting at sort of the psychoanalysis of the uh, of the characters there too. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Holmes does it because of the mystery. Watson does it because of the thrill and the action. And I think it's just I think it's just really good entertainment for him too, just to watch this guy break these things down. Right. And then he, he does bring something to the table as a physician too. He's able to kind of, he knows a few things that, that Holmes doesn't necessarily know or doesn't have off the, off the top of his head. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, similar to the Mulder and Scully thing where she was as a physician. I mean, that's what I really did like about that series too, is that I feel like that was a show that was, I mean, you know, like the female character wasn't just like the sidekick. I mean, she, she mm-hmm. kind of, you know, not only was she more from the science background, but she like would do the autopsies and she always brought like a like a greater professionalism to things mm-hmm. and so then you, and you even get that a little bit with the with uh series three when he's working with molly and I mean, he's getting a little uh like upset that like she knows things he doesn't know mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> which i which i thought i thought was a was a was an interesting thing i mean like i said a lot of those things they could have played with more but, but mm-hmm. they didn't um so okay so we got him uh he and he's introduced like First, aside from the text message, kind of being able to like do like a little bit of techie stuff, messaging like everybody in the in the in the press conference or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's introduced at that lab where uh, the hospital where Molly works, and he kind of uses that to do his re- some of his bigger research when he's beating the he's, he's looking at yeah. stuff. Yeah, and so so then they're off. They have their their first adventure and it, it ends with like quite a bit of kind of interesting tension they do the visual thing with like the cell phone where it's like he's in the house yeah. <laughs> and no one no one notices it <laughs> and then um watson kind of has to step up and be the one to kind of uh, what is it? i think he he shoots that guy right yeah he shoots uh the cab driver philip davis right kind of hits on something that maybe he can do being a soldier or whatever right um and then, did you ever see the second episode? Oh, I did, yeah. Yeah. The second episode has got is a little more goofy. It's sort of a, some kind of, I don't even really remember it. It's not, it's not, it's not great, but it's not bad either. I don't know, right. whatever. Uh, then the third episode I already talked about, with all the mysteries, and then that introduces Moriarty properly. Like, he's basically running homes through, like, a, um, a gamut or whatever of um, different things he has to solve at certain times or people will get hurt or bombs will go off or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's a very, um, you know, it's like a big showy kind of, kind of thing. It's a very Hollywood kind of thing, which I don't know. I got a kick out of fine. You know, you, you, you've created high stakes. It doesn't all have to be like quietness and everything else. 
But I think I think we I, we missed something. I missed something. In the first episode, there's this nefarious, shadowy character who um, who abducts Watson almost at one point. You know, <laughs> through 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 this 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 sort of like femme fatale assistant. Uh huh. Who, who never comes back that much, which is unfortunate because I would have liked to see more her, of her. And, and the character's, uh, you know, initial is M. And so you're like, oh my gosh, well, they're going straight to, you know, to, to Moriarty and everything. And then the way the guy's presented, you're like, okay, this is the way they would do Moriarty in a modern version. He would right. be like this kind of, like, executive that's like this character, you know, the way he refers to Holmes and talks about trying to manage him and everything. Mm-hmm. It's every single, th- it's the exact same mentality that, like, the older Moriarty kind of did Stuffy have. Which is, professor yeah. type. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And so, and so that's kind of a great reveal when you find out. No, that's not Moriarty. That's Mycroft. That's his older. That's his older brother. <laughs> the creator of the show. Right. Yeah. The co-creator. Whatever. However, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. And <laughs> and so that's a that's a kick. And so he ends up being. He's in like almost every episode. I think. I actually I oh. love what they did with him in the third season. I thought the dynamic between him and Sherlock was. Put in the forefront and it was fantastic it, it was and it and it, it, it's what the third season where it was strongest i think because mm-hmm. it was much more uh were uh, not stronger than the other seasons i think from a story standpoint it's maybe the weakest but it's mm-hmm. but 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 the character stuff is all like really f- operating on all four cylinders there and i like that mm-hmm. um so yes yeah, so you get mycroft in there and then you get you don't really get moriarty until the end of the first series the last 10 and minutes he, or something yeah, yeah and he ends up being this character who was kind of like introduced awesome. briefly <laughs> yeah yeah and that's always good because that's that's neat when someone can can show up and then that they're like a throw it but i mean anyone that like and this is where where good writing comes in because like i should be savvy enough to be like you introduce this character that kind of doesn't seem to matter like it's probably gonna matter later but i guess the way it, it, he's introduced and that's the genius of their writing is i mean you've got the molly character who's this girl who kind of has this infatuation with Holmes, mm-hmm. and he he kind of like is sort of in that that jerk way that 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 you know people will do when you know they know someone's kind of into them sometimes they'll they kind of play it for both sides or whatever mm-hmm. and and so then you, she introduces this guy as her boyfriend and everything. it's all kind of very like uh, childish a little bit you know like yeah. oh look this is this is the guy I'm, I'm with now i have a boyfriend and you know and then he's kind of very dismissive of him and he says that he's gay or whatever um, based on some observations he makes, and I'm not sure what the upshot. That might be where people really are getting some ground that are being critical about, like you said, the gay baiting thing or something. Because I'm not sure they ever really got back to it too much. If if the character of Moriarty actually is gay, but I mean, it's kind of not relevant to this story anyway. No. So <laughs> I mean, because you know, he's he's a character that's much more interesting than just sexuality. I mean, as are most good characters, which is why it's kind of too bad it has to be a thing that people talk about with characters anyway so he's introduced and then he shows up and then you know you got the scene at the pool where he's all where watson's all bound up with you know stuff and it's almost going to be like a tick knock all the pieces off the board kind of ending for everything and then that's how they cut and of course it's a big finale it's a big uh cliffhanger which they've done all so far all three times at this point right big cliffhangers which I don't know. It's it's very much so an American thing that that American TV doesn't do so much of anymore. Yeah. American TV has become, in a good way, to some degree, become very 
novelistic in, se- in the sense of like a season has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And for the most part, at the end of that season, you could potentially walk away and not bother with the next season. There's generally character threads that are still going through and maybe the hint of like, oh, you took care of the bad guy, but his underling is probably going to be even more menacing in the next season. But for the most part, it's not like a huge literal cliffhanger of like a guy's pointing a gun at his friend who's covered in dynamite and <laughs> how's this going to go, you know? <laughs> So that was um, that was good. But the thing I really, 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 really liked about the end of that episode was that, I mean, Moriarty's got him over a barrel with, like, snipers and everything. Mm-hmm. Which, if being, of course, the final Breaking Bad episode, it could just be a bunch of guys with laser pointers. Yeah. You never know. <laughs> You're never, ever going to know that. I mean, I mean, like, I'm, I'm probably going to be the one that's wrong whenever I got laser pointers pointed at me. And you're like, yeah, you're just laser pointed. Oh. I guess I was wrong. That'll be on my tombstone. He thought it was a laser pointer. He was wrong. It was a sniper rifle. <laughs> but, um, oh gosh, I'm trying to get this right. He, this all happens at the end of the first episode, right? Where he, he, he then decides that he'll do it later and then he leaves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then he takes, yeah, he takes, okay. So he says, you know what, know what? I'm, you know, he's, you know, he's capricious, whatever. He gets and a phone like, call from someone. And... Yeah, he gets a phone call and he has to take off. And he's like, so, okay, you know what, later. So then they, you know, the, the sniper rifles disappear, the laser pointers disappear, and then he takes, uh, you know, they get the bomb off of him, and then they sit there and they, they chat for a minute, they kind of decompress, and then he comes back. Moriarty yeah. comes back, and he's like, you know what, change my mind. <laughs> like, the, it, it's, it's the whole idea of, uh, like... Like, like when someone's being a jerk or something and then you like throw a rock at them as they're leaving and then like they stop their car and they're going to come back. It's like, holy shit. Like I thought we have, don't we have a universal understanding that like when you're a certain distance away, it's just not worth it. You're not going to come back. Like that doesn't happen. Right. And it's like, no, it could happen. So it can happen. And so then he does come back. And I thought, I thought that was, um, I thought that was fun. I thought that was funny. That's what I love about him. Like, like I said, I've never, I'm a big villain person. I love my villains and I've never liked Moriarty because he always is this stuffy professor type of character. That's not really that interesting. Um, but, um, Andrew Scott is so amazing. He's just crazy. He just like, when he first comes into that pool area, like, my jaw dropped and I, I couldn't believe that they were portraying Moriarty um, as this just batshit crazy, like he's got multiple personalities, his voice changes, his mind changes, like, and that's what I love about it. Right. And he's young too, like he's mm-hmm. younger than Holmes almost. He's, mm-hmm. It's especially the way you see him first and he's in a t-shirt and he's just like, he just looks like some young kid, you know? Mm-hmm. That was, that was, yeah, right. That was not how I expected it to be either. I did expect that stuffier professor, that older kind of like what they did what they tricked you out with in the first episode with with, uh with mycroft yeah uh and so i was like okay that's right it's new it's youthed up it's it's a different thing i gotta roll with it and it Mm -hmm. took me a second i was like i don't know if i can roll with this but then i did and and yeah you you like him and it becomes very um yeah 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 he's He's scary, weird, crazy too. He like, is. He's like, like it's it, it's number. He's playing it at eleven sometimes, but like oh yeah. villains can do that, and that's okay. Yeah, and especially with him, like I don't know if you've seen him in anything else, but it's almost, it's it's just how he acts. He's just good at doing this changeable, up and down, and all over the place kind of schizophrenic type of acting, and he's amazing, and I love it. It's fantastic. I think. 
I, I probably, if, if Mycroft had ended up being Moriarty, I would not appreciate the show nearly as much as I do. Yeah, yeah, that's that's for sure. I mean, if you're gonna, it's the old thing. If you're gonna remake something first, take a deep breath and make, oh my god, they're gonna remake it, mm-hmm. and then and then be like, well, generally, I mean, it's easy if the remake is of something that wasn't that great to begin with. I right. mean, uh, B movie monster stuff, whatever. But the David Cronenberg, The Fly, is crazy different and amazing compared to whatever that original. I can't me, me the fly was. Vincent Price. Yeah, I mean both. I mean the, the I think it was called Who Goes There or whatever the original The Thing movie that then John Carpenter did. Mm-hmm. And uh, God, I want to see. There's some news. I mean, yeah, oh, um, I've been really impressed with Hannibal, the t- NBC show. Oh, I wanted to watch that. I haven't. Yeah, but it's. Um, I mean, it, well, first off, it's one of the few shows that like a network seems to be like letting it's the closest thing that i've seen a network do to just being like okay we understand that the amc and primarily the hbo model of fewer episodes Mm -hmm. more money more creative control seems to be gaining a lot of ground like it's just Mm -hmm. kind of like that's what works that's what's popular that's what makes good material and so they kind of let brian fuller do that which Mm -hmm. is awesome because i mean he's i've rooted for him for a while he's done a lot of really cool quirky weird stuff this is the darkest thing he's done i think um but yeah, it looks really good. Uh, like visually, it's very strong, very crisp. I mean, every shot like looks like a car commercial kind of thing. <laughs> you know, which I mean, like I see you get burned out on like everything being very David Finchery like that. But I mean, for that show, it's that show. You know, you watch it for forty four minutes a week for ten weeks out of the year, and that's all. <laughs> it, um, there's an artificialness to it, but but that's you know it plays within its own little world. It still works. Right. But, yeah, I'm not sure how I got off. Oh, the Hannibal Lecter character. The idea of remakes. The idea of, um, yeah, you have to kind of bring something different to the table or, 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 I mean, it's not just a matter of updating it like, oh, now they have Twitter and, oh, now they, you know, right. have faux hawks or whatever the kids do with their hair these days or whatever. <laughs> they wear friendship bracelets or, I don't know. Um, but, yeah, so so that's that's the end of Series 2. And then... And then or series one and then series two is kind of boom and then something else happens he gets another phone call and then (laughs) yeah so that that cliffhanger is kind of i'm kind of has weak resolution i would say which is another kind of valid criticism of the series uh, especially when we get into series two slash series three territory Mm -hmm. um so but whatever because then they're gonna immediately they go pretty quickly into what the next sort of storyline is and it ends up being Kind of a new take on the Irene Adler character, mm. which I was a little less interested in only because they led with sort of an obvious kind of, you know, the dominatrix femme fatale using sexuality thing. Right. And that was, that was kind of like, that could they could have done something more interesting, maybe, maybe not with that, but with like that character. I think yeah. I would have liked that more. Yeah, I don't um, really like that. I never watched that episode, rewatch it. It's just okay, kind of, yeah. you know, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's not the best. Uh, I feel like I feel like, but I do feel like they missed out on, on something of if they really did want to connect those two characters more, and they could have gone in the direction of, of having it be, more at some point, especially like when she's like living there mm-hmm. for a while, like it could have become like, like they could have had a bit of like an, a relationshipy thing. They could have, uh, could have straight baited that. I'll, I'll invent that term. You know, like when it's when it's a. 
you know, when 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 it when when it, you know when the lady's sitting there, you know, after she just took a shower in a bathrobe, sitting on the couch, and he's sitting on the couch there too, and yeah. he's typing away, like, <laughs> and, and that would have been that would have made it more. I don't know. That would have been more. There would have been more to it, I guess, to that to that relationship for mm-hmm. them to play off of. So I mean, I don't know. And then they did *Hound of the Baskervilles*, was the second, the mid-season mm-hmm. episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and that one's just—it's it, kind of goofy, but it's fun. Yeah. Uh, and the whole connection with like the, the missiles and the military bases mm-hmm. is kind of kind of crazy. Glowing rabbits. Yeah, and then season the the season three finale or season two finale. Which was the one I rewatched before I started rewatching um, the when season three started, mm-hmm. which is an, another really strong one, um, because it's like starts with Moriarty and he's hashing a plan, and then you get to see the crown jewels, and that's yeah. cool. And <laughs> it's all, but but then he lets himself get cap get captured, and it's like, mm-hmm. okay, this is one of those let yourself get captured, like this is the long con major major score kind of scenario, mm-hmm. and uh, they really are hitting for once on, and that is sort of a modern thing. And a new thing and a new wrinkle to the story, the kind of celebrity and popularity of Holmes, which I right. guess they started it, they started that maybe more in the beginning of series two. When was the hat? Is the hat? No, the hat is actually the the end of series because I remember he makes the joke about the deer stalker hat. Right. He's like it's a, and then he pulls the things down. He's it's an ear hat. <laughs> I don't know. He's so angry about the fact that it's an ear hat, but he throws it. Um, and this whole idea of him being super popular and like people knowing his name and. And, uh, like, how antithetical that is to, like, him being able to do his work. And, mm-hmm. I mean, like, but at the same time, they do get on, like, the whole idea of, like, the ego that he has connected to that and everything else. And, and then they and then they try to break it down. I mean, it's similar to, like, uh, a Dark Knight Rises kind of thing or other things where it's, like, you take your hero character and you put him in a certain place where, like, the villain's just going to be, like, what if I dismantle you, you know, from your, you know from your mind from your ego from everything else and i start making the world doubt your sanity and doubt your validity and mm-hmm. doubt your value and that's always good stuff so that ends up yeah. being a really strong episode i think to the point where i mean he's just kind of reduced to you know kind of you know simperingly begging or poor old molly for help and he's been really kind of a jerk to her a couple of times throughout the series mm-hmm. um and and just to to interject here um again andrew scott amazing he pulled off that whole no i'm not moriarty thing this isn't what he says and da 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 and everyone i'm just an actor <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. and he pulled no, it off really good. well it was, it was yeah amazing. when he when he when he shows up at the journalist's place yeah like, they didn't have the this but they had the oh my god oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. <laughs> you yeah. do almost you do almost for a minute i mean I, oh I'm, totally i was like my, wait a minute <laughs> yeah my problem is still and it's the same reason we're like like, like, yeah, I have lucid dreams, but I let them play out, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, it's like, okay, I could second-guess the storyline and know that, okay, it's not going to be this, but even though they're hinting at that. So, but I'm like, well, maybe. I mean, part of me, the writerly part of me or whatever, is always interested to see, well, maybe they will go in a really weird direction and it will be like, mm-hmm. maybe that's the, the kind of story they want to tell, is a story about, like, a Holmes that is kind of media-obsessed and... Mm-hmm. Or, or maybe maybe this is not the, the actual Moriarty Moriarty. I don't know. I mean, you, 
all the stuff. I don't begrudge anyone for the potential of a, of a choice until after you had a chance to see how well the choice ends up playing out or being executed, you know? So it was like, okay, if it turned out that guy was not the real Moriarty, but there was another Moriarty who was maybe more professorly, that might be eye-rolling, or that might mm-hmm. just be a more interesting wrinkle, too, to the whole thing, you know? Mm-hmm. But, so yeah, so then it gets to the, to the big finale, and instead of it being on the falls, out in the middle of nowhere, between two guys, you know, where one of them falls in the water, and the other one doesn't know what happens to the other guy, and then he disappears for a while, it's kind of a blatant... Like, oh, he falls off a building, he jumps off a building to save his friends because Moriarty's got him over a barrel with, like, he has snipers, again with the snipers or whatever, <laughs> set to, to take out all the people that he cares about in his life. And kind of pointing at, like, it's that whole weird, it's it's the, like, you and I aren't so different thing mm-hmm. between the hero and the villain. It's the Joker and Batman, Moriarty and Holmes, I mean... It's, uh, you know, chaos of under- chaos versus, uh, you know, control or whatever. It's like, I can understand this, I can rationalize this, and it's like, no, you can't. It just is the way it is. Yeah. I'm batshit crazy, and I'm here to tell you that the world is this way. And, you know, whatever traumas I've had, that's something that, that you know, I mean, that's the killing joke. That's the whole point of that that, that Alan Moore's Batman story is is to just be like, the Joker became this way because of you know his the circumstances of his life and then seeing someone like the batman win mm-hmm. on the other side of it is is like the one maddening thing for him it's like no i need to show you that things don't work out you know it's it's like the epitome of being like uh petty and jealous and envious of someone's success or something it's mm-hmm. like i need to take them down it's like you know the best revenge is a well a life well lived but no one ever actually does that. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, no, I want to ruin that person's fucking life because my life sucks too. That'll make us both happy? No. No, it won't. Um, but that's, you know, that's insanity. That is what it is. Um, series 2 ends. He's dead. Um, so it appears. Series 3 starts. It starts with a big bombastic, like, right before he's about to die and instead of actually dying he like swings through thing and he smashes through a window and he kisses the girl and it's all like wow this is like this is kind of you you know the whole time i'm watching it like i got a big smile on my face and i'm going like no way no way but this is awesome and then i'm kind of like this is a little incredulous guys and of course then it turns out oh it's just the story that that beardly guy is telling and so you know that like it's 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 suspect at best um, yeah. He would never kiss Molly. Come on. Well, I don't know. I mean, like I said, you know, if you if you if you swing through a window after having just like <laughs> won the day and and, and and everything, and there's a there's a, you know a girl right there, and you know that she wouldn't mind it, I'm kind <laughs> of inclined to think you, that you will. I mean, I would. Uh, Maybe I don't know though. I mean, there I, might be too much going. But then he, then he kind of you know sets his coat back and keeps going, which is also the awesome thing, you know. It's yeah, the Han Solo thing. Sarah. I'm sorry. It's the Han Solo thing. It's the hell, you know. It's like, yeah, I know. I know. I know. <laughs> I know. That story's laid out, and you're like, okay, whatever. And then we're, we quickly cut to, you know, guy with, like, a heavy beard and, and long hair running, and then something happens, and people are getting, speaking Serbian or something. <laughs> and you pretty quickly, like, I think that's probably him because of the way he's talking to the guy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with, via whispers. And it turns out it is Holmes and that he's been doing something secret because, I mean, Mycroft is part of uh, MI6. Right. He's like, he's like the head spy guy for the British Empire. British Empire. Mm-hmm. I'm going to call it the British Empire. <laughs> Fuck it. Um, 
in in the show and and that kind of is a cool little like fold that they kind of get into again at the third the end the third episode of the, of, of the third season and so it's like hey, it's time for you to go back Holmes you know your work here is done or whatever and so Holmes has to go back and you know deal with being back and I was surprised for his character for how much fun he had with that like it seemed a little out of character from at least the character from the beginning of the series to like kind of have that kind of like I'm gonna play a little joke on my friend and whatever but at the same time I kind of didn't mind it because it might have just been that he was so happy to be home or that he was excited to actually see his friend and they had gotten to the point where it was like he didn't have to pretend that this wasn't a good friend that he cared about, especially after the stuff that happened in the, you know, in the second episode, in the last episode of the second series and stuff. So it was like, okay, like we're buddies, we're friends. So then he does the little joke where he he, put, he puts the fake mustache and pretends to be the waiter while, of course, another trope, of course, you know, is that, that Watson, Watson's about to try to propose to his, uh, his fiancé. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, I, and and so then when he when it finally happens and, and it, it takes him a couple of minutes to realize that it's Holmes, like there's this like like stunned silence and Holmes keeps talking and joking and I mean this is where you're quickly endeared to uh, to Mary because she's oh, just yeah. like oh really it's him like 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 she's with she's with them so quickly like oh yeah and I like that I like that a lot I really do like the Holmes Mary interplay especially in the first two episodes and even to a degree in the third episode they did a good job with her well, I, I mean yeah I mean I don't know if that ends up becoming sort of another sort of like dude fantasy thing where it's like yeah and and your wife likes your buddy a lot too you know <laughs> <laughs> and she has a sense of humor and is cool about it and, but of course, so so so, but but it's, it works especially well in this in this scene and in this section because because I, lo- I love how they did it. I yeah. love how they worked him back into it. Right. Because I don't know. For some reason, I was concerned that it would. I don't. I don't know. I was worried about him getting introduced back to Watson, and I thought they did a great job with him going for a punch, moving to a smaller restaurant, going for another punch, moving to an even smaller restaurant. Yeah. I think they did it like three times, right? That was the, the, the rule of threes in comedy. You have to do it that way. Um, <laughs> and it was very comedic. I mean, but it was yeah. also, to me, it was very, like I said, and I wanted you to remind me about this. Whenever I tell someone to remind, I only ever tell people to remind me of something. Sometimes it's so that way they can remind me of it if I forget, but usually it helps me just not forget. <laughs> but uh, the when he first makes the joke about because uh, Watson's now grown a mustache and he he doesn't look he does not look good with that mustache or he mm-hmm. he just looks different he looks weird it looks wrong on on that on Martin Freeman in that context yeah. that'll be the nice way to say it I guess yeah. um, I think maybe because like the modern day equivalent of what a mustache was in Victorian era is maybe more like a goatee is that right. probably what it would be you know it's like you see that in superhero characters like Tony Stark used to have a mustache and like the you know, when the comic was, was going on in the 60s and the 70s, now he has, like, a goatee because the mustache alone just doesn't... It doesn't it's read A little right. creepy. Yeah, it's it's invariably creepy. Very few people... I mean, Ron Swanson from Parks and Recreation is maybe the only one that can pull it off. Right. Um, so he makes the joke. He makes the joke. He's like, mine washes off. Does yours? And, I mean... And, and so there's it, been enough of him kind of talking and their awkwardness of Watson kind of not knowing how to react. And in that one little moment when he makes that joke... Watson kind of like his lip starts to curl a little like he's and you can tell you can see and it's 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 Freeman's performance and to me it's so genius it's it's the buddy thing but it's like that real depth of the buddy thing where it's like I'm so happy right now you're alive and this is awesome and it's like he knows everything's gonna be awesome again 
but he also knows that he can't just go straight to that that he has to process that he has to deal with like how angry because he is legitimately angry at his friend and they they hit on it multiple times and i love that way that they reminded about it it's like wait she knew the whole time and i didn't know (laughs) how many people knew you were alive but not me um yeah and uh and so it's just like that to me was like that won me over for like the whole for at least the whole episode probably for like the rest of this of the series because like those those characters that perform those performances it's just like just that little moment of like oh you son of a bitch but like then like oh i gotta get mad at you and i gotta punch you and i gotta be like you know you know i gotta be kind of bitchy about it for a while and then okay now we're back to zero and now uh, (laughs) this is the way things go then by the end of the episode with the bomb and then he plays another joke on him with the bomb Oh my oh, god, yeah. I love that. I love that was that was so good. But that was weird though because of the way. How did that work? They're in the middle of the bomb thing, and then in what I thought was a very odd choice, they cut away to him explaining, kind of in the quote unquote definitive explanation of how he survived to the to the bearded cop. That's that's all almost like it left me scratching my head. Like they did this in such a strange fashion. Like are we supposed to imagine that like okay they got out of the bomb? thing yeah. like and they just they're just like okay they figured it out and it's like but how did they figure it out and then they cut back to the bomb thing and i don't know i thought that, that was a weird decision and i still i don't know i would i would i would be curious why they chose to to put that there in that moment yeah. every now and again on the series you do see them do some sort of strange st- stylistic things that don't always work for me and i'm not so sure i've seen en- enough british stuff i'm not like oh that's just something that they do you know it's like when you see like oh, right. anime or something you're like oh that's just an anime thing the giant sweat bubble or whatever you know <laughs> <laughs> so they cut away and then they cut back holmes is freaking out i mean and that was good like that was good to see like if you're finally in a situation where, like oh my god we're both probably gonna die and so for a minute there there's legitimate like concern and fear and and like i'm sorry mm-hmm. and and all this other stuff but then once he figures it out, you know, and flips the switch and, and everything else. And like I said, the switch thing is a total homage to Goldfinger. You know, of course, you you want to be able to disarm a bomb if you need to. I mean, the whole idea is not that people are going to find the bomb and be struggling to figure out how to disarm it. It's that you're going right. to plant the bomb and then turn it on and then leave. And then no one's going to know it's there and it's going to go off. Right. So um, he's like, yeah, of course, there's always, there's always a switch. Otherwise, things go really bad for the bombers. <laughs> And that was that was funny, um, yeah. And so then they then they did the sh- the smart thing with another trope, with the big wedding. You know, the big right. wedding episode that has to happen in all kinds of TV shows. Either the big wedding episode or the big pregnancy giving birth episode, right? Uh, uh, or whatever. And so maybe that'll be in season four. They'll do a, a giving birth episode. She is pregnant. Yeah. Oh, that's true. Um, that's right. Oh my god, <laughs> so much of this stuff. And that one ended up being interesting. I mean, that was sort of just like a, a regular case, but the case was was clever. The the way yeah. that, that the guy was was injured, I, though it was a little convoluted. I didn't. I wasn't sure if the kid that had been murdered earlier was just this guy testing this out, but it, he was also military, so it kind of seemed like I, I didn't connect the dots on it. It was a little convoluted, and maybe if I watch it again, I'll get it, or maybe it's just not that well constructed like i said some of the story elements in the series three have been are are sort of i think they're weaker than series one and somewhat a series two but it ends up being a good episode um once more you're given more interesting visual stuff as holmes tries to narrow down like who the suspect is or who the killer is um well i guess that'd be the same thing but i mean who the uh 
who the like victim potentially could be and, and it's happening in a context like literally of like him giving this speech <laughs> yeah. trying trying to be as normal as he can be um and, 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 and curtailing all these other things which was great i thought they did a good job with his super awkward speech right I yeah mean, they still showed his personality and ended up being touching and he was like, wait, why are you all crying? And I don't know. I think they did a good job with that. Yeah, they did. And, and I mean, like, that's where you get at, like, yes, there are, there are people that have legitimate, like, mental illness and problems to the point where, like, they can't socialize and, you know, they, they need to be given, like, treated correctly and taken care of carefully and walk on eggshells and everything else then there are people that are just kind of bratty like Holmes and stuff <laughs> where it's like look you understand that when you say this to someone it offends them and you understand that, and you know and then he kind of cops to it in the speech and he's like you know but I'm just a giant <laughs> asshole so <laughs> <laughs> it is what it is and, he, and he's even able to, I mean he's even able to kind of deliver a few lines that, that, that he knows are funny and gets laughs like so I mean right. to be able to do that I mean he, and he's doing some of that maybe begrudgingly but I mean that goes to show that that is his friend and he's going to do that for his friend I mean and that's another good character thing. Like people that you would not expect to do certain kinds of quote unquote stupid normal people stuff will do stupid normal people stuff for their friends. You know, right. it's like, oh, you, you want me to show up and do this? No, but yes, I'll do it for you. <laughs> that's how you know it's a real friend, I guess. Just show up and be nice, um, or be normal, or do whatever. So that ended up being yeah, that was kind of a different genre, but kind of still worked for me. It was almost mm-hmm. like a like a, you know, like a, a quirky comedy um, sort of thing. And then it ended strongly, I thought, the whole idea of him still sort of invariably being kind of disconnected from uh, right. from from everybody. And there was a little sadness to that, you know, especially the whole thing where, like, at one point, um, I mean, like, he kind of has recogn- turned around to Molly and recognized that, that you know, you're not going to get too many people that maybe are going to, you know, give you a second or third chance or even going to like you in the first place. And so right. it's kind of, it's kind of nice though, that then she's kind of got this other guy and it's like, she's moved on in her life and that's good for her, I think. Um, and then it becomes, but it adds more to him to sort of being this like, oh, he's always got to be alone. Just like Batman, you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's always going to be alone. Even though then you get into the third episode, the final episode of the series so far, and, and they pretty quickly make the joke of, of the fact that he ended up getting hooking up with the, uh, with the bridesmaid. Right. Right. <laughs> and then you're like, wait, what? And then for a while they're like, no, they kind of had a, had a back and forth in the wedding episode. There was a, there was a point at which, you know, he had kind of turned around to her. She, she had a certain kind of, I mean, like, I don't know. I think whenever I talk about like, uh, or think about like, uh, relationshipy stuff, I always think about the complimentary sides to, to people and that kind of being where things really work. You know, if one person's too serious, the other person always thinks they're joking. And that kind of adds levity to the serious person and, and, and you know, balances them out. And together they, they, they work in a way that could seem believable. And I, they had hinted at some of that with her because she seemed very kind of, kind of easygoing, but also like had like a good sense of humor about him being the way he was. And was like, oh, you know, I'm going to have to, you know, keep you around to help me out or something. Mm-hmm. And so then, yeah, then to see the, it, it was great, you know, because you've got Watson observing this kind of very like relationshipy thing. It's all very normal. It's not it's just all... that he's in a relationship. It's a very normal relationship. Right. Yeah. And it seems very like sort of reasonable and affectionate too, you mm-hmm. know, um, it's not like, uh, 
not like kid glovesy or you know like awkward mm-hmm. and, and and initial. I mean, we did kind of step over the whole like Watson on his own at the beginning of that episode, which is awesome. Like he walks in there and like he walks into that crack den and just kind of yes. <laughs> takes care of business in a very awesome way, which yes. kind of made me feel like I kind of just want to watch the Watson show sometimes. <laughs> crackhead that's not a crackhead that has kind of a yes. he's like the potential protege for Holmes. Right. Um, and we'll see what happens with him if if series four is a go. Mm-hmm. So that, then it turns out that um, when we're introduced to the, the, the new villain for the story, because we need a big villain, but we don't have one because Moriarty's dead. So we get this, um, I don't know, he's, he's the media mogul guy, which I guess is kind of like, the Ru- Rupert Murdoch is the only one people can think of, probably. That's like I that. was thinking of Assange, but yeah. Okay, well there's that aspect to it too, yeah. The, the idea of having a lot of information on people and just choosing how to leak it or what right and then the reveal towards the end of that episode that this guy's um just got a really 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 good memory at first you get the visual thing with the glasses and you think oh he's got some like you know google glasses that he uses that accesses his wirelessly accesses this massive database of information that he's accrued through his wealth his power and just his own cunningness about people when the truth of the matter is that it's all just information that I don't know. I don't. They don't. That's another weakness of the story. It's like I guess he had had access to it at some point and read it and then memorized it and just knew it. Mm-hmm. So like he knew this, this, like, and that about confidential stuff, and you know he could blackmail just about anyone, and that made right. him a very, very dangerous person because it wasn't a matter of hey, we can just delete some files or burn your house down. It's like this guy is in and of himself a danger, but we can't legally at least do anything to you know put him away mm-hmm. just based on the, that fact alone you know you can't document that someone's been blackmailed if you don't have the material to take and show or whatever right so it became a very um kind of like a no-win scenario and in good writing and these guys have done good writing and like i said even see series three with that beginning that's so like i don't believe it and then of course you don't believe it because it's not probably believable I think they they kind of wrote themselves into a pretty strong corner at the end of series three. Holmes had to shoot the guy in the head. (laughs) And that is always to me like, like that's that you're playing recovery now. And I mean, I'm interested if, if Moriarty comes back because Moriarty's always going to seriously have that to hang over Holmes. He's like, Oh, so when you run into someone who's smarter than you and got a better plan than you to shoot him in the head. Mm -hmm. Like, like I can see him totally getting a lot of mileage out of that. Like, that's mm-hmm. not that's not the kind of character Holmes is. That's not the kind of show I'm wanting to be watching. Um, Except that you're you don't want to make him too much into. He's not a good guy, is the thing. Right. Like I didn't. I you don't want to make him into Batman, who's like no guns ever, no right, killing no. ever. You know, he's still like especially. I think they focused on this a lot in the second season. Was that John would put him up on a pedestal and he said, "Don't do that. I'm not a good guy." Right. No, and I'm fine with that. I just feel like there's it's the whole uh, it's it, it's something that there is no good answer for it's the bully bully uh, solution that's what mm-hmm. the episode should be called the bully solution because that guy is a bully <laughs> um i mean it's like well ignore him and they'll go away not always you know because right. it's still be they're still bothering you and you know they're bothering you and then it's it's you know, it's the line in the sand. It's everything else. And then what is the what is the appropriate, you know, measured response? I mean, countries still struggle with this. Our country especially struggles with this constantly. 
You know, like, we're struggling with it right now with the goddamn Russians. Again, with the goddamn Russians. <laughs> you know, what What do you do? I mean, and, and I'm not saying our country is totally like Holmes. It's not entirely a good guy. It, it's... <laughs> but you want it to be... But with this story, because it's a story, you want it to be, okay, the writers have written such a difficult problem for him to get out of, but that final problem, he gets out of it in a way... That then you're left being like, that was awesome. That was good writing. That was a clever mind that came up with it. And I mean, I think it was a two-part problem, especially in the third series, where, I mean, Holmes is already a character who is smarter than the writers. I mean, I don't know for a fact, you know, maybe Moffat's got like a 210 IQ. But... But I mean, like, that's more than likely the case. I mean, and writers, we have to do that all the time. We have to write characters that are more evil than us and smarter than us and just not us. And so it takes time to do that. You have to do some research and you have to really ponder a scenario and a solution and and all of that so that it seems credible. That's why mystery writing, I think, people talk about comedy maybe being the hardest. Comedy is so subjective to a degree that I don't know that it it can be quantified as being the hardest but i certainly think that like a solid mystery is maybe sort of the hardest thing to pull off effectively oh yeah because you have to bait and switch you have to red herring you have to do all these things but you have to do them in ways that are credible and not overly contrived and you can't do a deus ex machina you can't do that which is kind of how this series three ends to a degree Mm -hmm. i mean like they're it's not like they'd even really foreshadowed that, you know. I mean, I, at some point I thought, was well, he probably just going to take the gun from John and shoot him in the head? Or is John going to shoot the guy in the head so that that way his wife is okay? Um, but it ends up being this kind of, like, French familial or, you know, friendship sacrifice thing where, you know, he, he, he does it in such a way where it's like there's a lot of witnesses. Mm-hmm. And they're all, you know, official people that saw him murder this guy for all intents and purposes. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, okay, you're you're out now you know you're either gonna go to jail or you're gonna be banished and they mm-hmm. he's banished but then he gets called back because <laughs> yeah. because digital moriarty shows up at the very end and you're like wait what yeah what? okay we'll see and i'm 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 super curious to know what happens in that next season but we skipped over all the the opening the first half of the first episode <laughs> where or of the third episode because it's like so he's with this girl, but then it turns out that it's kind of, it's super insincere. It's, it, it's, it's a real backpedaling for him. And I felt kind of, I don't know, I feel like they could have played, I think they kind of did play it a little later when he was in the hospital. Yeah. Um, where she's like, you know, I did kind of like you. And I think that, and you, I don't know if you sense from him, like, it's another, like, okay, there was Molly and there was her. And, you know, the, you, you know, the truth there's a lot of fish in the sea, but there's a lot of fish in the sea and there's a lot of sea in the sea too. And that means that not, you know, you're only one fish in a big sea with a lot of other fish. And that doesn't say anything about anything else, you know? <laughs> If you find another fish that you get along with, then that's not exactly going to happen every other day. Right. Um, or if it does, then there's something wrong. <laughs> uh, so, so I felt that was too bad. But it was she was the personal assistant to psychopath super memory guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you th- you start to think, well, then why would she have been at the wedding? All, connecting all these dots starts to seem very contrived. But then it ends up making sense, and it was that. Uh, and this is kind of the most out of the out of this the genre thing that they do is that they make Mary this like former clandestine assassin right and it's like wait what because she's I mean ostensibly she's presented I think in the first episode or in the first episode of the third series as being John's like nurse or 
she's like assisting him in his medical practice. Right. His Maybe she's assistant. just doing the doing the paperwork or something, but that they work together. And that mm-hmm. might have either been how they met or whatever. But it doesn't seem like there's anything nefarious about that aspect. It's literally like, you know, she's just retired from being an assassin. But that doesn't mean that she's not still vulnerable to people that know that about her and being able to tell other people, hey. And that's sort of what what the crux of the the conflict comes down to. Mm -hmm. This guy who loves being able to manipulate people and and control things is like, look, I've got, I, I know this about this person in your life that you care about. And there's not much else that can be done. And of course the great irony is that she was going to take care of the guy. She was going to, she was going to murder him at the very beginning <laughs> mm-hmm. and Holmes steps in on it and is amazed. And so then she, she, she kind of reacts, but she, but she's enough of an expert that she shoots him in a way that doesn't immediately kill him at least. Right. And that, be, that becomes probably for me the most exciting part of the whole th- first three episodes. I mean, I love that opening with the swashbuckling and, and, and everything, <laughs> but when, when he shot, and it's all, once again, like the epitome of the visualization thing. It's all just scenes with him and other characters. His mind palace where mom's is, telling him, don't fall forward. Or, yeah, 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 yeah. Which way do you have to fall? You only have like, you have like two seconds to save your life. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, if you fall the wrong way, you will bleed too fast. And if you, do, you know, mm-hmm. I, <laughs> I'd like, did the bullet go through all the way? Did it not? It's like, you idiot. You're, you answer your own question because there was a mirror behind you. Remember? I mean, like. <laughs> And that was just a great way to see, like, how his mind works and, like, getting into sort of the potential. I mean, I don't know. Everyone's mind works differently. And so I wouldn't call calling it, like, mental illness would be totally off base and wrong. Because we all kind of, I think, when we have these internal monologues, they're more like internal dialogues. Maybe it's another version of us that we're talking to when we're thinking of sorting out a problem. Maybe mm-hmm. it's... Maybe it's our dad, maybe it's our best friend, maybe it's a professor from college or something. But, you know, you, 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 I think, I mean, I, I, that seemed like a very familiar thing. I feel like the writers mm-hmm. wouldn't have done that if that wasn't something we'd all be able to relate to as viewers. It's like, oh, no, we have people in our lives who, when we're trying to solve a problem, we kind of channel their mentality or their strength or their, you know, sensibility. You right. Know? Like, you know, like I'm tasting something I made and a friend that's like, really good at cooking i'll be like oh they wouldn't like this like you know <laughs> so that part i really enjoyed um the whole like figuring out how to save your own life after having been shot was yeah. i thought that was that was neat and exciting but then he ends up in the hospital he knows this thing about about mary and the, the, he knows that there's something about mary yeah pause for possibly for last break uh, <laughs> And and it's like, okay, so then he has to do the old escape from the hospital while still being, you know, recovering from a bullet wound and probably bleeding internally and he's all pale and sickly. And uh, they're looking for him. And then when John gets gets to the flat and he sees that um, that his has chairs back, that he put John's chairs chair back. I was thinking about this today. I was like, that would have taken some serious effort with a bullet wound to move a chair like that for that... And it, to me, it was like such an elegant thing. It was like his way of sort of saying, like, welcome back. I'm sorry. Like, it was his way to, to, to tell him without telling him, like, like, there's a chance that you might be back here living with me pretty soon because, uh, yeah, the lady you're with. <laughs> yeah. And we don't really know how nefarious it ends up being. But it ends up being kind of, I mean, you believe her, I guess. Or, you know, it, it's presented in a way that, that ends up being believable and... Or, or you accept it, and who knows if they'll backpedal on that, and she'll have always, always been working for Moriarty this whole time in Series 4 or something like that. Um, then then it would be legitimate take for uh, misogyny or something. She's like, I had a kid, I don't care about it. And blah, blah, you know? <laughs> um, 
but that's not where we're at. So, so yeah, so that, but, but they also have, I mean, they do another weird cut thing with the Christmas thing in this episode. The Christmas thing was weird, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, it ended up being good, but it was like kind of like okay, it's cut to a little bit further in the, in the future, but then okay. the the immediacy of kind of this other character's situation, the, this villain's thrust thrust is still there, but you're like okay, now it's Christmas time, and and you're seeing his parents for the second time. Mm-hmm. I mean, I loved that. That was what I loved about the first episode too. Is his parents are in it, I and at first they just seem like two old people that are there, like as people are doing since he's become a celebrity kind of just coming in being like like thinking that they've got a case for him and mm-hmm. that's how it's presented you're like and he's busy doing other stuff not really paying attention to then at a certain point you're like he's really abiding these people's like you know foolishness and annoyance like more yeah. than he should be and then at some point as he's pushing him out you're like oh that's why and it, it, and she's telling him very matter of you know, but he couldn't find his glasses but you know so did he eventually find the glasses and it's like oh yeah no I found <laughs> and you kind of like almost a split second before it's revealed you kind of arrive at like that was that's probably these are probably his folks yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah. and that was good so, i so, love that i like and yeah. like i said i loved everything that they did with his family this this season i liked mycroft being tortured with um les mis having to see les mis with the parents oh right yeah that was, that good. was fantastic and uh the mention of the third brother oh there was a third brother mentioned yeah, there was. <laughs> I don't remember anything. Oh, the yeah. joke third brother, right? Like that the, they they killed before or whatever. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. uh, what was it at the end of the third season? Yeah. Oh, okay, he, right. he says, "Oh, you know what happened to my third, my other brother, or something like that." Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. No, that's good. I feel like there was something I missed in the wedding episode, but uh, of course, Mary was great in the wedding episode, mm-hmm. just being a. Uh, being part of like solving the mystery too. She's like, "What's well, my wedding? I'm gonna, you know, damn well gonna. I'm not gonna stay. I'm gonna really figure this out." <laughs> right. And 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 back to the Holmes and and Mary thing. The the wedding planning was hilarious. Oh, yeah. I love that. That was so good. Where it's like, of course we're gonna have to do. The, <laughs> and, and then and then and then when and then when he, when he's telling her telling her about the about how he's like, no, I I you know about folding up folding yes. napkins or whatever. And she's like, look, I know that you're lying to me. He, I, I'm like John. I know when you're full of shit. He's like, I, I went on the internet and looked at a video on YouTube, and that's <laughs> yeah. how I saw how to do it. Like that's um, that, it's good that he has a character like that in in his life. I, I mean. I don't know the assassin thing. I I have I don't have any real problem problems with it. Just feels so out of left field. It and, was and, and and like I don't know. Like if I could deconstruct that third episode, I would just do do, do things very differently. I wouldn't do that. I, I I don't know. I mean, I think Mary could be an interesting character without having to have this weird convoluted backstory that then makes them all have to like care more and about something about this bad guy or whatever. Mm-hmm. But like like with any show, it's all the good shows are like like drugs, you know. Once you're hinted, hinted at something new, it's like even if that last one left you feeling a little uh, you're like, well, let's see what happens next. We got more. I mean, and the way they've done with cliffhanger, they're 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 a lousy track record with cliffhangers. I think it's very likely that it's like so what. I mean, like oh he right. he 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 plant he programmed something on a computer to go off four years from now so that it would say did you miss me did you miss me and it's like that's all there is to it you know because he <laughs> shot himself in the head right in front of Holmes, and now he's dead yeah like, there's no that would be the end all be all of wait what what <laughs> except it wasn't in fight club what oh right oh well no in fight club like it was the cop out of like he shot through his cheek or something 
Right. Which is also kind of a weak point in that movie. Which I I like that movie a lot, but that's yeah that that that's also kind of a haywire like at the last minute you flinch kind of thing. But the right. bat still manages to kill your alternate personality. <laughs> I think in the moment you tell yourself to flinch, the alternate personality. But he's doing a sequel. He's doing a comic book sequel. So I really? imagine. Imagine the whole idea is that he just sort of banished that alternate personality for a while, not for the sum total. But yeah, so that's, uh, I don't know, people that have seen the series maybe will have some fun listening to this, and people that haven't will just be like, wait, what? What are they talking about? <laughs> but it was fun. I, um, I look forward to seeing more of it, and even if it's a few years, that's, it's fine, it's worth it. Yeah, and I'm just interested to see what the characters do now. And I feel like they're in a weird, tight spot, another another corner they've written themselves into with the uh, the stories, because uh, they that was the last story, I think, too. And that's why I must have thought this was going to be the last season. I thought they'd run out of stories. Well, I don't think they've run out of stories. I think there's more than nine of them or whatever, but the, they'll either have to backpedal or... Which will be tricky because... Didn't they, when, when did they hint at like the fact that there's been more adventures than what we've seen? They've done that a couple times, right? Oh yeah. There was some point where they cut to a scene of them on a roof or something, right? Um, I think it was in, I think it was in, in the third episode of the third season. Uh, so you're like, okay, so more t- time has obviously passed. They've had more than just like the adventures we've seen. So right. in that sense, you're kind of you're wasting off-screen stuff. You know, wasting stuff off screen, maybe. I don't know. But but it was fun. I like it as a show. Um, I, I, I think I think it's, like I said, it's hard to say. When it, they, they throw that cliffhanger in there and you can't just be one and done with it and be like, it started strong, it did good character stuff, and then ended kind of weak. It's like, you know. It, <laughs> it's still going, so we'll see. We'll see how it ends and then how that feels. Yeah. I don't know. I think the characters are strong enough that they can keep keep going. I mean, you're right. The stories aren't as good as they were at the beginning, but I feel like it's hard to keep that momentum up. It, it can be. I mean, I think that they made some conscious decisions on where they wanted to go with the characters, and it became, at least in the third season, much more... Uh, I mean, it, it, it was a decent bit more comedic, which, I mean, coming mm-hmm. from Moffat doing, like, Doctor Who and before that doing, like, comedy series and stuff... Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm fine with it. It's just that it sort of becomes a... It's a different feel to the show. Um, yeah. And so we'll see how they... If they can get back to something that's maybe... I, I don't know. The solution isn't always, like, make it darker. <laughs> you know? Uh, that's that's too easy. Um, there's just... Yeah, there's just these extra levels of complexity to it now. I mean, the fact that John is married... The fact that he's married to a former assassin... <laughs> The fact that um, Holmes has, has has murdered somebody in cold mm-hmm. blood, rather than being able to, I think that to me could be the really interesting angle for the story, is uh, for, because he is kind of he's seriously tarnished mm-hmm. now, and I don't know that that's had been really dealt with that much toward in the last ten minutes of of the show, but especially if there's going to be moriarty returning or some sort of facsimile of moriarty or whatever challenging him that's that's a valid point for him to needle him on is that you know hey you you can't um 
you know, you, you, you're not as smart as you think you are if you have to just resort to what any old schmuck will do, you know, mm-hmm. when, they're, when their back's in a corner. <laughs> just shoot the, shoot the bad guy in the head. In the head. Which is an elegantly awesome thing when yeah. it's done correctly. Yeah. I mean, like, I'm back to the fight, the Cowboy Bebop thing. The fifth episode of that is awesome. You've never seen that character do much in the way of really violent things to anybody throughout the show. He's been kind of played for laughs to a degree, but you know there's something kind of dark there, too. Mm-hmm. And then at that point where it's just like, I mean, the hostage situation thing, like, no, you don't negotiate. You don't put your gun down, you know? You just, like, you know what you're doing. You're that definitive. I mean, it's the same thing Al Pacino does in Heat, my, you know, one of my favorite movies. I mean, the guy's got... Got a little girl after a botched bank robbery, and he just has to take a deep breath, focus, and pulls the trigger and puts the guy down. But that's a very different kind of characters and different scenario and everything else. This was, I feel like this was done, and I hope it was purposely on the part of the writers, in a way that it really does kind of shame Holmes pretty severely. Well, that, and he's in the public eye so much that yeah. this will all of a sudden make his celebrity, it'll be called into question, I guess, by all of his little Holmesian fans out there. So Everything that, 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 that uh, Moriarty was trying to do in, at the end of series two is like kind of happening. Validating. Invariably. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, I mean, I don't know, that could be a real way to kind of explode out the character. But at mm-hmm. the same time, it's hard to balance that within, with the, with the character interplay and comedy that they've been doing a lot more which i enjoy you know it's like i I don't want it to get which is why i don't know like i I would love to retcon that episode or something (laughs) they just haven't have parts of that parts of it not happen so that it could keep going on the way it is yeah um we'll see i don't know it'll be another two years anyway right oh it'll be a while i'm sure (laughs) who knows they might not ever do it it might just live with a cliffhanger like that yeah. I don't know how things are work. If, if they get people on contracts and like, oh, no, 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 there's going to be at least two more series. I, maybe I read that somewhere, but I don't know. I don't think I did. Anyway, any final close, closing remarks on the, on the series or, or anything at all? I don't think so. The closing remark is that there is no closing remark. <laughs> the, the game is afoot and things continue. 